Holy and loving God, write a message on our hearts. Bless us, direct us, and send us out living letters of the word. Amen. Please be seated. So a few Sundays ago, about 15 minutes before a service was to begin, the phone rang in the church office. And I had one of those moments like you see in the movies when an angel appeared on one shoulder and the devil appeared on the other. And the devil said to me, you know, you've got a lot to do before the service begins. You are very important, you know, and everything could fall apart without you. I think you better let this one go to voicemail. The devil made some good points. And then the angel spoke up. Sunday morning phone calls are important. Someone could be sick. We might need to get a, a substitute acolyte. Perhaps someone was looking for a spiritual home and they chose the chapel out of all the churches in the area and if you picked up the phone, then they might come and become part of the congregation. These are the conversations that go on in my head. And so I picked up the phone and there was that pause. You know the pause I am talking about like when a telemarketer is calling. And so I started to hang up the phone. But then there was a voice. This is a collect call from the county jail. Will you accept the charges? And I said, yes. And I have to confess to you that my assumptions immediately were not of the best intentions. I thought someone might be looking for a grant or perhaps a legal referral. And so when the voice appeared on the other end of the line, she said only this, I was hoping someone would pray with me. Here was a child of God, as much as any of us are children of God, someone who probably only has a limited amount of opportunities to communicate with the outside world. And she chose to call us. And so we prayed and we talked for a little while. She said she had to go and I thanked her for calling. And I am most definitely sure that she gave more to me in that phone call than I could have possibly given to her. And I know that if I was in her shoes, that I would have felt a great darkness and perhaps would have, instead of reaching out, I would have felt entirely alone. Our gospel this Easter Sunday, strangely enough, begins in darkness. John writes, early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb. And darkness, as you read the Gospel of John, is not just a mere adjective. It is a recurring theme, and it is a clue to the reader that something important is happening. In that beautiful poetic prologue in the first chapter of John, John writes, The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. Jesus says to the adulterous woman, I am the light of the world. 
Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. And at the Last Supper, in that moment when Judas leaves the company to go and betray Christ, the very next phrase in the text is, and it was dark. So Mary Magdalene approaches the tomb in darkness. And I admire Mary Magdalene this moment. She has been through a lot, not only in the past week, but in the past several years, as she and the other apostles followed this Jesus. And they had learned a lot, and they had heard his stories, and they witnessed his miracles, and they, had, they were horrified at what happened on Friday. And so, with a great gumbo of emotions, she approaches the tomb. But instead of finding the tomb as she expected, she found something very unexpected, that the stone had been rolled away. The stone had been removed. And the stone has been removed is a very pedestrian-sounding phrase for a very amazing thing. The former Archbishop of Canterbury, Rowan Williams, said in an Easter reflection a couple of years ago, the stone is heaved away by the life of God. There is no dead body there. There is no Jesus locked up in the past. There is only Jesus alive forevermore. Now that's a bit more like it. And so amid Mary's darkness and vicariously amid the mist of the world's darkness, the light breaks through. The light that the religious authorities tried to squelch. The light that the Romans wanted to silence. The light that humanity betrayed. That light, that Christ came through. The light that the cynics of the world wrote off as dead, is now loose in the world and will never be defeated again. And 2,000 years later, you and I still live in a world that is basking in Easter light. So upon witnessing this first sign of her Savior's re resurrection, what does Mary do? But she runs. She runs back to that upper room where the apostles were hiding and she goes and tells them what has happened. And then Peter and, Jay and John run back to the garden. I don't know why they're doing all this running. Perhaps they ate too much at Easter brunch that morning. And then they see the empty wrappings in the tomb. And the gospel says that they believed. But they did not understand the scripture. That he must rise from the dead. They understand that Jesus is not physically in that space, but they don't really realize what has happened. And so they return home. I really don't understand the apostles in this moment. Here they are, these two dudes, the second and third person to witness the greatest moment in the history of the universe, and instead of sticking around to see what might happen next, they just decide to go home. Maybe they needed a nap. But Mary sticks around 
to see what might happen. And not only does she see the angels, but she greets her, her Lord and she says, he says her name. 2,000 years later, we, like Mary and Peter and John, live in a world where darkness is still defeated and the light has triumphed forever. And yet, even though the stone has been rolled away, even though the light is still bursting from the tomb, even though Jesus appears to us, many of us still struggle to find the light and instead exile ourselves to our own darkness. I don't blame anyone with all the stuff going on in our own lives, the venom of our public discourse, the state of the world today, just being upright and taking nourishment is accomplishment enough most days. But we unnecessarily marinate in the gloom and darkness of our own creation. Instead of expecting the best, instead of seeking Christ, instead of looking for the resurrection which is happening all around us every day and anticipating how we can be part of this new life, we expect the worst and cynically wallow in our fear. But the good news the great news, the Easter news that we remember once again this glorious day is that we don't have to live that way. We don't have to stumble through life looking for the switch. For the light of God is all around us. The world is invited to bask in that glory and all we have to do is have the faith to expect it. Don't be like like me, who expected the worst on the one side of the phone call, but instead be like that prophetic woman who reached out, not knowing what she might find, but reached out in faith so that she might connect with something else. We too can reach out stretching for the light, and when we do so, Christ will grab us and hoist us out of our own tombs and into the resurrected light of Easter Day. Live in the light. Live in the light of Christ. That light will shine forever. Amen.